Hi, everybody. This is JP from In The Scene Podcast, and today's guest is Cameron Mortensen of the Fiberglass Manifesto. Cameron won't admit it, but he is a celebrity in the fly fishing industry. He actually changed the industry in regards to glass fly rods, and we're going to talk about that. He's a humble guy, which is a terrific thing. He's in law enforcement, which we thanked him for. Um, but he is humble, and sometimes people get in the fly fishing industry and become a celebrity, and to be honest with you, their head kind of gets a little bit uh, out of touch. Cameron's not that guy. Super humble. You can hear it in his voice. He's just calm, collected, and he knows so much. So I hope you enjoy this podcast about fiberglass fly rods and Cameron Mortensen of the Fiberglass Manifesto. This is awesome. Listen up. Well, good morning, sir. How are you? Good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm all right. Thanks for uh, joining me. Are you working today or are you off? I'm, I'm not. So I moved to a salary position. And so I've been trying to just keep myself at 84 hours. But this pay period, I think I've been 100 hours. So I had, I, I was like, I'm staying home today. Oh, really? You guys? Yeah. I, my salary job is like work. <laughs> there's no uh there's no you know time uh guidelines or anything like that but that's cool um i saw your picture that you sent over looks like you're trying to do your normal thing and help people out it's really nice it's awesome yeah so is yeah, that your use uh what's that i said is that your truck so yeah that's our department's uh mrap vehicle and so for the last i don't know six or seven years we've used it as our as our kind of campaign focus where we're trying to fill it up with toys and we usually fill it up at least three or four times over and i think this year it was like five or six times over so we were really fortunate to have so many in our community that wanted to make sure that they did their part so well that's um, awesome yeah it was it turned out really great so i'll put a picture of this up just so everybody knows we're talking about this toys for tots thing which is really cool um but we're not live. I'm recording and, and um, I'll edit stuff out. Uh, but welcome to, to In the Seam. Thanks for being part of this uh, podcast. I know we talked about doing it. I'm glad we were able to make it happen. So thank you. Well, thank you for the invite. I really appreciate it. Um, can you introduce yourself and give yourself a quick little bio? I usually have everybody kind of talk about themselves for a second as a warm up. So go ahead. So I'm Cameron Mortensen. I'm a... a I write the uh, website, the Fiberglass Manifesto, and I've been doing that for 12 years now. Uh, started it then without really any idea of what a blog was or what I should be doing, and and fast forward 12 years, probably still don't know what a blog is or what I should be doing, but I've had a great time, and it was maybe uh, perfect timing since like the interest in fiberglass fly rods has just like had a, a steady a steady incline over the years, so uh and for whatever reason i'm one of the only guys talking about it so it's kind of made the website unique and over time i've been able to kind of expand the content to not just fiberglass fly rods but really anything in the uh realm of fly fishing in the outdoors that i think is cool so it's been kind of neat to see it grow that way it is neat to see it grow so i know you as three people you're first and foremost a dad and a father and a husband, I should say, um, you're a blogger and you have your day job, right? That's right. So, it's, and you know, there are three, 
three different parts of me and a lot of times they overlap uh and you know a lot of times it, it makes just for a busy life so so do you um, consider do you consider yourself a blogger or an author or what do you what, what's the best way to what's your job description for fiberglass manifesto so i used to think that like blogger was like a really nasty word or whatever but i think i've more or less embraced it i don't really consider myself a writer even though i write you know a lot of content and I don't really consider myself a photographer, even though I take a lot of photos. Uh, so probably blogger, uh, or content curator or whatever. I don't know. I just, you know, the biggest thing has always been just to have fun with it. Uh, mm -hmm. and so instead of really have too many titles, uh, just, you know, it's been a fun project and it's been neat to include, you know, different friends on it and, you know, grab, grab content from, you know, really all over the place. Um, you, and you so, mentioned being, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, please keep going. Well, you, yeah, you mentioned being a husband and a, and a father and, you know, that's, you know, always a juggle. You know, my wife and I have been married now for 21 years and we've got a, a 15 year old and a daughter and then an 11 year old son. And then my full time work is in, in law enforcement. And I've been with uh, a department here in, in South Carolina for 19 years and had a lot of different experiences. So uh, it's you know, like I mentioned just a moment ago, it's a juggle. Like every day is is unpredictable. And yeah. so uh, TFM's always been that creative outlet for me. And it's just been a nice uh, diversion to have, you know, amongst everything else going on. So Cameron, in the early days, as you were like Batman, we could never find a picture of your face. Do you remember that? In the, yeah. And, you know, in the early days, I was uh, about the time I started uh, TFM, I was doing um, narcotics work. I was on a task force and I really didn't want anybody to know I was a police officer just from the nature of the work and the stuff that I was doing. Uh, and then when I came out of that unit and then back to investigations and then, oh, maybe a year or so after that, then I have right now I've got a much more public role. I'm public information officer for the department and, and I help supervise our community action team, which means that we're kind of out in front all the time. So that transition of Really, nobody knew what I did to now. I, you know, I'm proud of the work that we do. And, you know, part of my job as public information officer is to really talk about, you know, what we do as an agency and and kind of curate that brand of what our agency is. And so, uh, and I've had to get used to being, you know, in front of the camera, you know, during interviews from everything from, you know, you mentioned Toys for Tots to if we have a critical incident, you know. So it's uh, it's been an interesting transition the last six or seven years of doing that to uh, be much more um, out in front about what I do full-time as a career. And can you mention um, your hometown and, and where you're from? So originally from Michigan, I uh, spent my first no, 20 plus years there and uh, grew up there, went to school there. And then my wife uh, is from South Carolina and uh, she came to school in Michigan. We met there in college and got married and we thought we'd move out to Colorado for five years and then we got out there we loved it it was a great way to start our marriage because we didn't have anybody no family from either side telling us what we should be doing uh and we both worked jobs where we only worked oh maybe three three days four days a week and so it gave us the opportunity to be in Rocky Mountain National Park multiple times a week and we were up on the Keche La Poudre uh canyon uh hiking and fly fishing a bunch and and skiing in the wintertime, but then, oh, about a year and a half after moving out there, my wife felt like she was missing out on too many things that were going on 
back home. So we packed up and we moved to South Carolina and, uh, and my wife's a nurse. And of course, nursing jobs are super easy to, to find. And so she's had a lot of different experiences doing that. And, and I was able to uh, get hired by a small but growing police department where I think I was the 21st officer. And 19 years later, there's 65 officers and there's a lot of potential for growth in the coming years. So it's uh, given me a lot of different opportunities through my career that I wouldn't have had if I would have ended up in a, in a larger agency, you know, like Columbia, where there's, you know, several hundred officers. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and let me make sure that I go on record by saying that I thank you for protecting us and, and helping, you know, protect our freedoms and all that stuff is a lot of horse shit going around today's day and age. And I think uh, you, whether you want to hear it or not, I want to make sure that you know that there are people out there that definitely appreciate law enforcement and, and we appreciate you. So um, just want to let you well, know that. And, and I appreciate you saying that, you know, I think this has been a really good opportunity for us to have a lot of self-reflection as a, uh, um, as law enforcement. Um, I know that we've listened a lot and it's been a, a good time for us to look at the things that we do, everything from our policies to our training, to the technology we use, uh, to what our expectations are for our officers and accountability and make sure that we're where we need to be. And fortunately, I work for a department where we've always been very uh, progressive. And, you know, we were 19 years ago when I started, we were the first agency in, in our area that had video cameras in all the cars. Uh, and eight or so years ago, we were the first agency that had body cameras on our officers. Uh, and so it's, we've always put a lot of uh, focus on to what those emerging technologies are and what those expectations are from the public and to make sure that we're doing them, you know, before we're being told that we have to do them. Uh, and, you know, I'm really fortunate that I work with for, you know, a town that has such a, uh, a positive, uh, emphasis and support for the police department. Not everywhere is like that. You know, we have officers that join our department, you know, that worked 10 or 15 minutes away and they're blown away by, you know, the experience, you know, the people that constantly are trying to, you know, buy a coffee for them or just walk up to you, you know, while you're doing business visits and like thanking you, you know, you can't go anywhere without somebody thanking you for the work that you do. Uh, and, you know, we don't take that for granted. We don't take that lightly. And we know that that's earned. Uh, and we've been, you know, trying to do the hard work for a number of years to make sure that, you know, people know who we are and what we do and why we do it. Uh, and, you know, part of that, which is one of my roles in the police department is social media. So I'm constantly on our Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, helping tell our story and making sure that, you know, when people are commenting on things and they don't have a positive view of law enforcement, that we're making sure that we, you know, try to provide them with everything from links to our website to even, you know, I offer my phone number multiple times a day to people, you know, give me a call if you want to learn more, you know, I want to discuss this with further with you. And, you know, that changes a lot of perceptions as well. Oh. So you, so you kind of have the ability to learn about um, both, I'm going to say being a blogger, I know you said, you know, could have a negative connotation, but for lack of getting into that, I'm going to call you a blogger. So for blogging and social media and stuff the the day work and what you do with fiberglass manifesto you're learning on both fronts all the time they're kind of similar in regards to communication right oh yeah and that was kind of the one of the reasons why they kind of gave me the 
the keys of the police department to all the social media because I had a number of years of already doing it, um, you know, in my personal life with TFM. So uh, not the same, but definitely there's some things that overlap. And uh, and so it's been kind of fun to, to use those tools on, you know, both my day job and then, you know, what I do in the morning at 4.30 when I make coffee and or when I get home at night. So yeah. it's been neat to have that overlap. Cool. So, so you're oscillating between these different lives and stuff and trying to balance them. And it's not, it's never easy. Um, but I do want to get into kind of glass and fishing and stuff like that a little bit. A lot of the, my questions I have for you are kind of glass oriented, but you started the blog, you started the website, you started a brand and you do have a brand and you almost instantly became a guru, a guru. Are you a guru of glass, Cameron? Do you feel you are? No, I think I'm the guy that just beat in the drum. And um, I think timing was good for it. And I think that, you know, 12, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, when I first started messing around with glass, like fly rods were purposely getting faster and faster. Like that was the, you know, all the marketing around graphite rods was like, everything was one step faster than, you know, the last generation and like year to year companies were coming out like this one's even faster than the year before. Uh, and I kind of just fell into glass by picking my Eagle Claw Featherlight up after not messing with it for a number of years. And just, it kind of blew my mind how much fun it was to cast. And then that sent me down a rabbit hole of fiberglass fly rodders and messing around with vintage rods. And, you know, at that point there was, you know, you were, a group of maybe a dozen rod builders, blank makers, rod companies that were messing around with glass. Um, and fast forward to now, that number's way over 100, which is pretty interesting to see how much it's grown. So uh, I would say I was uh, adopted it fully, you know, quickly like sold off all my graphite rods and replaced them with glass rods. And then I was just that guy like talking about it uh, over and over and over again to the point where it's you know, the story I always tell is there'd be times where I would be like gearing up in a parking lot, you know, near a, a river access and guys would like squint their eyes and kind of like chuckle and like, is that a glass rod? You know, it'd be like a white, you know, bright white wonder rod or bright yellow something. And you'd say, oh yeah, it is. And you know, those same guys that are laughing or we're laughing are the same guys that I'll get messages from or, you know, asking, you know, hey, I'm thinking about a new four-way, you know, what should I be looking at or a three-weight or whatever. And so it's kind of neat to change those perceptions of, you know, that thing's a joke to that's a real fun fishing tool. Uh, and, you know, it just opens up, you know, a lot of doors for everyone. I can't say that glass is like the end all be all for all types of fishing. It's, it's how I do all of my fishing, but I realize that other people it's, it's one part of their, you know, quiver of, you know, multiple rods. So there's glass bamboo graphite and boron have you cast all of them yeah i mean it's i cast a graphite rod or i've casted graphite rods and boron rods but but um i haven't fished with them um i kind of feel like it's i can't say one thing and do another so i've you know been pretty uh focused on just fishing glass um the times that i've messed around with the graphite rods i think that there's uh, they're interesting to cast uh but i really just i really like the way a, a glass rod loads and i i feel like i can cast it better 
and I can, it's just more fun to fish, you know, um, for the limited, sometimes limited time that I do get to fish, I'd rather do it kind of my way and, and the way that I think is fun than to feel like I need to be using something else. Mm-hmm. So you do only fish glass. Yeah. yeah. From, from a one, two weight all the way up to 10, 12 weights to two handers, everything, everything I have is glass now, which is kind of neat. Yeah, that is neat. And I, would, and I would say the neat part is, is that there's so many different options and it's not, you know, um, I mean, I think you'll obviously remember that in the beginning it was, you know, guys that were offering glass had, you know, a seven foot three weight, they had a seven, six, four weight, they had an eight foot five weight. And that swimming pool got really crowded pretty quick with everybody kind of offering their take on, you know, those three links and, and line weights. And so it's been neat to see you know, you figure out what you enjoy doing, what, you know, Chris Barclay enjoys doing, then you see what different rod companies are doing that are kind of pushing the envelope different ways. And then you've got your blank makers, you know, everybody from Mike McFarland to CTS to, to now uh, North Folk Fort Composites, you know, everybody's kind of figuring out what they can do with this material to really, you know, make glass shine. Mm-hmm. Um. You, you've got a lot of rods then, huh? I mean, people send you uh, stuff. Do you, do you, yeah, do you go through them or like, how many you got? Well, I used to have that demo program, which really increased the number of rods. Cause I, I think at one point I had 40 or 50 rods just in the demo program. Um, the demo program was really cool. The tough part is, is that I was responsible for a keeping track of where rods were at B, you know, shipping out rods all the time. C, trying to like keep track on a spreadsheet, like, you know, a rod would go from this person, this person, this person. And I would think where I, I knew where the rod was at. And I'd find out that the third person in line forgot to send it for a month and a half. I had one rod that was gone, like off the map for like over a year, where supposedly the guy kept forgetting to send it. Um, <laughs> I think he just kind of hoped I forgot about it and he would keep it. Uh, there was rods that got lost along the way. There were rods that got stolen along the way. There's rods that got broken you know, mysteriously. Uh, and it just came to like a time management. I just, it wasn't a pro, it was actually something that was costing me quite a bit of money to do because every time you send a, a rod insured, it's, you know, 12 to $20. Um, and so it was kind of a, a money loss out of my piggy bank and it was taking a ton of time and I ended up just having to shut it down a few years ago. Yeah. So why did you those, do it? A lot of, well- why did you do it? Just well, to be helpful? Is it because you're, a, you know, a public, a public servant, so to speak? Why did you, why did you do all that work? Well, especially in the beginning, fly shops didn't have glass rods. Um, you know, the, it was pretty scarce to find them kind of out in the wild. And so there was some rods, like one that was very popular, you know, when it came over was the, you know, the eight foot five weight Kabuto and then the seven foot three weight Kabuto, like people just couldn't run down and get a, their hands on one of his rods, you know, they're from Japan. So it was neat to be able to offer people a way to demo a rod before they bought it. Uh, And then there was a lot of rods, you know, I think you had um, at least one rod in the program. um, And it was neat to be able to put rods in people's hands that they couldn't get otherwise. Um, Fast forward to now, fortunately, there's a lot of shops now that carry glass. I mean, they're not going to be necessarily small, small builder, small shop builders like yourself, but you know, even Livingston Rod Company with Dusty Smith, he's got his rods in multiple fly shops. Um, and, well, Shane Gray does um, now in Asheville at uh, my buddy 
Danny's uh, Crooked Creek Holler store. So there's ways for rod builders to get rods into shops, but now it's more accessible. So, you know, the reason I started just because it just people couldn't get their hands on them and they're a little wary about spending 450 or $600 on a fly rod that they'd never cast, which, you know, makes sense. So you did it. It sounds like you did it to try to help the product line. Is that why? Yeah. So, you know, it's trying to spread the message and, you know, if, if somebody could, you know, demo a rod for a week and a half or two weeks and help them make their decision. Um, that was good. And, you know, I do uh, a couple of different PowerPoints about fiberglass. So it was nice to have, uh, you know, there's sometimes where I would travel with 30 different fly rods with reels and fly lines all lined up so that we could do casting demos afterwards. Um, and so it was really nice to have all those. Um, but to go back to your original question, I think right now I probably have around 30 or 40 fly rods. I've tried to pare it down and um, maybe get rid of duplicates or rods that are the same, that are too close together that I just know I, that they deserve to be in somebody's hands that can fish them more than I will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of have a collector, um, you know, bent in me where it's kind of nice to have all those really beautiful things too in the corner. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a constant, uh, flux of, you know, do I really need this or do I just want to keep it for a while? So, and hopefully when I retire, you know, maybe that'll open more doors up to fish more. And, um, there's just so, so many neat glass rods and, yeah. you know, it's, and there's so many differences in tapers and links and line weights that, you know, no reason to carry just one rod to the river. You know, if you've got a trip and you can carry, you know, several, that's, uh, that's pretty neat too. Right. Have you collaborated uh, with rod builders on designs or, at all? As far as like taper or just aesthetics, like making anything you know, like a TFM run. And I mean, I, I will say that, you know, you, you're kind of like the dude. And I just wondered if people were like, Hey, you know, uh, we want we want you to help us with with this look design feel anything have you um there's been a couple times or a few times you know there's there's times where i'll just be sent prototypes hey what do you think of this and then there's been times like i worked with you know sean combs at orvis when they were bringing the super fine glass back out i mean really from like moment one of that idea being greenlit um you know i was able to get you know, sent prototypes and then, you know, discussions about like how it should look. Now they might not have listened to anything I said, but they let me play along with it. And in fact, like the first, oh, year and a half or so, like people would get a couple TFM decals with their Orvis rod when they bought them, which is pretty neat. Um, And then the first year I went to IFTD, I talked to Tim Rajeff. It was like on day three of IFTD, like my voice was hoarse. I couldn't even like remember what I was saying. And then Tim and I just kind of laughed it off and we, we were both like spent and I just gave him my car. I was like, Hey, if you guys ever do anything in class, it'd be awesome to talk to you. And then like six months later, he called me. He's like, Hey, um, we actually want to do something with glass. And Tim has, you know, a history of winning casting competitions as a teenager with old Fenwick rods. So, I mean, he's very versed in glass. Uh, but, uh, then we had, you know, um, what was neat in that is that he's like, what should we be doing that nobody's doing? I said, two-handers, switch rods, and heavy line glass. And he's like, we can't do that right off the bat. Let's start with trout rods. And then it was neat to see over the course of like three or four years, um, their trout rods came out, their um, 
two-handers came out and then now like badass glass came out and then he's like hey what do you think of the nine foot badass glass and i was like i think they're too long can we cut a foot off of them and now the next generation you know is an eight foot rod and that whole lineup is really fun to fish so like i said i'm not taking any credit for anything but it's just fun to get rods in my hands it's fun to give my input uh it's really to have people in the industry call me and say you know you know, should we do this length or this length or this many pieces? You know, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are people looking for? Uh, and blank makers, you know, like what can we do that's different that nobody else is doing? So to be, you know, kind of keyed in on that is, you know, pretty neat to be part of those conversations. Um, and, you know, I've always tried to be really confidential with, you know, whatever, like my conversation with, echo i wouldn't like then call sean and say guess what tim's doing you know like i've always been able to keep those very separate and confidential um because i don't want you know i wouldn't want anybody to feel like i gave away industry secrets to to somebody else so mm -hmm. i guess the best way to be a part of all those conversations is to be just a good secret keeper and yeah. and uh and you know um just have fun with it and in our in the electronics market which is something i've been doing for 15 years um they call them industry mavens and and industry mavens can jump from one company to another and they can balance intellectual property and stuff i think you do a good job at that um do you do you sell rods i don't even know if you do do you mm. so i've been selling the eagle claw feather lights for a number of years because nobody could find them um, you know, some Walmart stores, you know, have them and I swear Walmart can buy them cheaper than I can because what they sell them for is not even what I can get them, you know, at at my cost. So, uh, so I've always, well, not always, but for the last, I don't know, five or six years, I've offered those on the site. And then, um, I've got the red truck, uh, glass, which are pretty neat five, four and five weight that I can order for people. And then I make a little bit off that. And then I've got some affiliate, you know, relationships with like Swift um, that I can share a link. And if somebody makes a purchase, then, you know, I get a little bit in the TFM piggy bank for that. So um, I've kind of purposely tried not to sell rods and I've kind of purposely tried not to build rods just because I don't a have the time and B I just think it's really neat to like get hands on everybody else's, you know, piece yeah. of art. Now the as red truck, is that Leland or is that somebody else? No, that's Leland. Yeah, it is Leland. Yeah. So, so you're, so you're trying to balance between the brands, but you're, but you're dipping in a little bit as a retailer, right? Yeah, a little bit, but I mean, how much money can you make on a, I mean, Eagle Claws, especially now shipping keeps going up. I think I charge $45 for an Eagle Claw Featherlight. And after my cost and shipping and putting a tube and a koozie and stickers, I'm probably making about $5 a rod. So those are still kind of just a way to like give people a first experience on the cheap. If they can't find them at, you know, their local Walmart for 25 or $30, they can order one, you know, from me. And, and, um, and they're always great rods to have around because, you know, I'm always running into people that are interested in fly fishing and I can, you know, scrounge up a, a Martin reel that I found on eBay and, and a fly line and, and give them a, a feather light to kind of get them started. Yeah. So you're a busy guy. I can see why sometimes I try to get a hold of you and I don't hear from you for you're busy. You're doing a lot of stuff. Well, and I feel bad because there's times where, you know, even, you know, sent, you sent a couple emails and text messages and I just let it go in red just 
there's there's times where I get overwhelmed, and and this week's probably one a good example of that with you know just everyday toys for tots, and we've had a couple critical incidents, and I'm you know um, I literally last Sunday went from our um, Christmas parade where we're responsible for getting barricades out and cones out and making sure the streets are all closed down to right in the middle of that we had a, a death investigation going on and I had to leave there and then you know go write a, a news release and talk to reporters you know on the scene there so it's it's a lot of like multiple plates in the air all the time mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes friendships and TFM stuff kind of gets back burnered well you know those things are going on so in my my corporate life, you know, I'm, I'm very quickly getting to the point where I'm kind of like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Uh, you know, having a corporate job and stuff. And, and I think about it way too much. Do you ever think about that too? Do you ever say to yourself, like, you know, I'm sick. I just don't want to do the blog anymore. Or, you know, I want to go get a bed and breakfast or something and, and stuff. Do you think about stuff like that? That human, that human question? Well, um, you know, I've, I've got about five years until I can retire from law enforcement. And so I don't know if I'll do that at 25 years or if I'll stick around, you know, another three or five years. I want to make it to that goal of 25 and have that option of being able to do something different. I'm going to keep doing TFM until either blogs aren't relevant or nobody wants to read it or I just absolutely don't have the time to do it. Um, I thought that there was kind of a maybe a, people weren't as keyed in on blogs but then COVID kind of gave everybody some extra time and it was really neat to get a lot of very very positive feedback of you know that people were thankful that it was there and I even tried to up the amount of content that was going on oh I usually try to put a couple posts up a day but I was doing like three or four posts a day just to like especially in the beginning like March April and May like try to feed that machine as much as possible um, and I'll be honest it, I'm not going to quit writing TFM until I just don't have time to do it just because it's a great diversion for me um, in the career that I'm in. It's nice to have something that's completely separate. I've got, you know, an entirely different network and a group of friends. It's given me opportunities to go fishing in places that I wouldn't have before. Uh, and so I'm going to keep doing that until I can't um, or unless that transitions to something else. But it's just been, I don't know what I would do if I was in law enforcement and I didn't have something like TFM to keep me busy and my mind occupied. Uh, I've seen too many people and this any first responder type of work where they kind of just get too far sucked into uh, what work is and what that life is. And it's been very, very good for me mentally uh, and socially to have something, you know, way mm -hmm. outside of that. Do you think, is TFM a job or a hobby? Mm, it makes a little money. I do feel an obligation to work on content and to stick to the timelines that I've set my for myself. So it's it's like, it's a hobby job, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, tr I've tried to never take it too seriously, you know? I I've always told people that have their own, you know, website, like, don't think that you're that big of a deal because the dude that's reading it is checking it out and he's back to like stalking his, his ex-girlfriend on Facebook. So, you know, <laughs> like, let's not, let's not think that we're like way too important here, but you know, people do appreciate it and it's pretty neat to, I would say one of the, the neatest things I've always felt with writing it is that if I do, Oh, something about you or I do something about Chris or I do something about Shane, 
and then or any other builder and then later that day or the next day i get you know a, a text or a call or a note that says hey you put that up there and i ended up getting three orders out of it you know i feel super great about that because not that it puts any money in my pocket but i know that it's helpful for small shop rod builders it's helpful for small shop gear makers uh you know it's it's helpful it's been neat to you know highlight different photographers or artists and then you know they've had opportunities because somebody saw them on tfm and you know gave them a call so it's been neat to be that that connection for other people that i'm friends with and you know i really care about you know uh supporting small shop you know whatever they are you know everything from rod builders to real makers to to artists and, and photographers so you, would you say you see see that you, you favor the smaller guys more you think or you balance everybody equally i would say i would favor the smaller guys more because sometimes their their own machine of getting the word out isn't as big as you know who has a who has a bigger ad budget patagonia or orvis or you know jp Mm -hmm. um, I do think that social media is an equalizer in some ways. And I think some rod builders have gotten super um, ingenious in how they tell their story. You know, uh, you put a lot of photos out there. Shane photographs every single rod he builds. Uh, and then you got Chris Barkley that's got a super good friend in Dave Fasten that is like his own personal photographer that you know, highlights all of his fishing trips that they go on every week, which I think is a, a great advantage for a rod builder to be able to show people, hey, these are rods I make, but these are rods that I also fish. And yeah. I, I intimately know them because I think sometimes, you know, rod builders like everyone else don't get to spend as much time on the water as you'd expect that they would. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think it's been interesting for rod builders to be able to develop like a real specific niche of what they do, why they do it you know, what the benefits are. And then it makes them look all that more authentic when they're putting their story out on social media or through their website. Do you think the brands get along? Oh, I mean, I think so. But then you talk to people and I mean, I think fly rod builders are kind of crabby, you know, at least some of them. Uh, but I've seen that even out because I've there's in the early days, I think there were some rod builders that felt like everybody was trying to copy them either the look or the rods they were designing. And then I think over time, what's happened is, is that you figured out what you're good at. Other rod builders have figured out what they're good at and there's some overlap, but they've been able to really be able to develop their particular niches. And I think everybody's, I think everybody more or less gets along, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think, I mean, the what do you think JP? I think rod builders, I, well, first of all, any, any, anyone that's really treating business seriously is going to have a competitive edge to them. There's no, if you're not, then you're not really in business. So you got to balance that where some people are just kind of doing it because they love it. And some people are doing it because they really are trying to make a living. And I know that there, I know of a number of, of people in the industry that are really trying to take care of their family and um, just do this. And so I respect the fact that people are going to be crabby. I've worked with a lot of machinists in my life, and I would say that rod, small rod builders are like machinists. They tend to be a little bit crabby. So there's always an edge there. Um, so I, I don't know. I think the frustrating part, I think the frustrating part for some is that there's guys that pop up on Instagram and they've built two rods 
and they're suddenly a rod builder, you know, air mm-hmm. quotes. Yeah. Um, and their, their pricing's messed up. You know, they don't have a, there's not a pillow, you know, they're not thinking about that idea. Well, what happens when somebody demolishes this rod and wants it replaced or fixed, you know, their pricing is so low that for a legitimate small shop rod builder, I could see where the grind is, is like, well, that guy's probably taking some of my orders away and they're not super stoked about it. But I think in the big picture, even in that, that those guys don't stick around. They realize after, you know, six months or a year and a half of not making any uh, money. And a lot of times it starts with, Hey, I can build this rod for $125. Why is that guy spent, you know, charging $375 for it? I don't get it. And then fast forward, you know, six months or two years. And then they start understanding that, that to do it the right way and to make sure that, that you're taken care of as a builder. And maybe, you know, you are trying to feed your family. Um, there's, you know, some iner- inherent cost to things. Yeah. Um, you, you have to make a profit to, to sustain. Okay. Period. You'd have to, unless, unless, I mean, unless you're getting funding from something else and that's fine, but for in business in general, you have to make a profit in order to sustain and have retained earnings and continue to live. And you're right. Mark Yusick says all the time that one of the biggest issues that we have, because we think that the, that sometimes we think the market is saturated is that exactly what you said you could someone could pop on and and market themselves pretty well and look pretty big or or convince somebody to purchase something from them and um and they haven't really invested a ton they just are creative and there's nothing wrong with that but that does exist you know and that was one of my questions also to you is is do you think that the market is now saturated with glass? You know, sometimes I think that, but then somebody comes out with something new or just new people get uh, um, exposed to glass. And I think rod builders are a good indicator of that. Like I'll talk to certain, you know, rod builders, you know, how's orders looking? And, you know, there's sometimes where it's surprisingly slow. And then there's other times like the pandemic that some of them have been, way too busy, you know, like surprisingly busy. Um, I think that there's some natural lulls when there just aren't new or, or like when there's not new blanks to build on. I think that, you know, there's some guys, there's probably guys like me that have 20, 30, 40 fly rods and they just like to try things and build things or buy things from different rod builders. And so if those rod builders um, that they enjoy buying rods from don't have anything, you know, that's the new, new, then they're not buying anything. But you know, that's where it's important for rod builders to really try to innovate with their own tapers that they're like, don't, don't rest on your heels that your tapers are all squared away. There might be something new that you can, that you can design or, you know, look to other people that are making blanks to see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I see where there's, you know, there'll be sudden interest in a, a new taper or a new, oh, I think those NFC blanks have got people excited. Um, they're, made in the USA, their pricing is pretty phenomenal. And for a hobby builder or a small shop rod builder that's building rods, you know, I think those are, you know, fueling some, some interest. Um, You know, you come out with new things, you've come out with new things recently. And I'm sure that spurs orders that you might not have had if you didn't come out with something new. So uh, the good thing is there's a lot more people fly fishing now than there were even, you know, nine months ago. And I think that's going to fuel, uh, you know, rod sales. That's um, true. I've been getting a lot of 
you know, little Instagram DMs or emails saying, hey, I just found the blog and I'm working my way backwards. This is great. You know, I've, I'm really interested in glass. Uh, so I don't think it's saturated. I think that um, I think it's sad when when small shop builders cycle off and aren't out there as much. Um, but then I think it's, you know, pretty neat where guys that I really respect their work uh, and the job that they do, like they're still here and they're still grinding and they're, you know, still coming out with, you know, new ideas and new things. So mm -hmm. it's pretty neat to see that too. Yeah. I've been, I've been making rods for a long time and I've had a number of emotional battles about what I should do. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's just par for the course. I think if you're doing something a long time, sometimes you say to yourself, am I not enjoying this anymore or, or, or what, but, um, you know, I'm, I am enjoying what I'm doing now, uh, in regards to the, to JP Ross and growing that I've got a lot, couple of new projects I'm working on too. I did the trailer thing, as you remember. Um, and that was kind of a creative outlet for, for a few years, but, um, you know, the truth of the matter is what's really cool and interesting about you and what you've done is if there's a hundred rod companies out there that are doing glass, I would say that a majority, well over 50 of those are because of you. You have done that to the world. You've done that to the industry and you must know that, you know that, right? Well, I never want to be, I, I, I guess I wouldn't want to overstate what it is. I just think that. Well, you know, I'm, sta I'm that stating we, it, by the way. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've just, it's been, it's been really neat to put it out there for people. And it's been neat to see it resonate. And it's been really neat to see there be continued interest. I mean, I'm stoked that it's not like any of these rod companies have come out with glass rods and then they realize, oh, I guess that didn't work in the two thousands. We're not, we're going to shut it down. Like every rod company that's come out with glass has now either um, expanded those lineups or they've like come out with different generations, you know? And so that's pretty cool, you know, to, to see mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Um, I've never took too much credit for it, but I, but it's been neat to be a part of it. Um, I guess hopefully that's a humble way of saying it. Uh, well, I think think about um, uh, think about Jeeps. Okay, back when you started Fiberglass Manifesto, was the beginning of the craze with Jeeps. Is when the Jeep JK uh, hmm. was coming out. Okay, so when I was a kid, and you saw a Jeep, you you really didn't see them that much. You know, and now how, how many Jeeps are you going to drive by today on the, on oh, my word, a ton, right? I thought maybe, I thought maybe it was just this area of South Carolina because guys can drive with their tops off all no, the time, but no, I swear there's Jeeps everywhere. Oh, they're everywhere. They're, they're totally everywhere. And it's interesting to see now what's going to happen with the Bronco coming out, which is kind of cool, oh, yeah. which by the way, the Bronco wouldn't have come out if Jeep wasn't successful. And the reason I'm making this correlation is when when this whole thing started with glass, it was equivalent to like seeing a Jeep CJ once in a while. And now they're everywhere. And glass, by the way, is a lot more everywhere than it used to be. It's hard to go online and look around and not see 
something about glass fly rods. They are equally promoted to graphite. And a lot of that has to do with you. Well, you know, that glass is not dead hashtag is always fun to check in on, on Instagram. And I think somewhere around like 65,000 tags just on Instagram. Um, and it, so it's neat to see so many different anglers experience with glass through that. Um, I think they're neat to look at. And so from an, from a marketing standpoint for other things, like it's interesting to see glass rods show up and things that have nothing to do with fly rods. Um, yeah. Just because I think that they're, it's obviously a fly rod and, and do you want to be holding something that's black or do you want to be holding something that's bright yellow right. um, or, or, you know, like glowing in the sunlight. So it's kind of neat to see that too, but it's, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, Jeeps have definitely taken off and I think glass rods are the same way where it's just something, it, it's always going to be a niche within a niche of fly fishing, but um, it's pretty neat to see it continue to grow mm -hmm. uh, through the years. Do you, um, and we're, we're closing out here uh, in a little, in a little while, just so you know. Um, so thank you for your time. Do you, is there anything that you wish you did different? Uh, with TFM? Yeah. I wish that in the beginning I would have treated it like I would have been more in, investigative. Like in the beginning, I just didn't know. I, I didn't know what to do or how to do it. And it took me, oh, probably three years before I started drilling down. Like, it's important for me to show up at IFTD. It's important for me to meet everybody I can in the industry. It's important for me to be able to, to email or phone call people. Um, because that really, like, put the, the learning curve, like, accelerated. The knowing curve accelerated. The being a part of things accelerated. Um and probably having or definitely having a, a deeper understanding like on the the website side the tech side i mean honestly i run off of a blogger platform that's the template's called simple i mean i've been running on it for 12 years so the website probably deserves a, an upgrade but it's kind of one of those things that i've looked at and just said if it's not broke let's not fix it right now um, and let's keep having fun, you know, putting content together. It's, um, it's actually iconic. You, that, 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 no, I'm serious. That platform is, is an icon to, you've never changed yeah. it, which is cool. Uh, not really. I widened the margins because it used to be like, I think the default for that, that uh, template is that it's really narrow. Um, and then I started messing around with it and kind of expanded it out so I could put larger photographs and, um, visually it looks a little better. Um, but it's neat. It's fun. And, you know, and like circling back to like, do I consider myself a blogger? I mean, it, what I do is blogging, you know, and, and I think that if I just had a website, it would not have like a daily readership because people wouldn't feel like they needed to go back there because there's not new content going up. Um, the fact that it is a blog and, and hopefully, you know, a couple of posts go up every day. Uh, that it circles people back so that, you know, it's just part of their day. They hopefully, you know, I, I hear about people, they get to work, they get a coffee, they have their coffee and they check to see what's on TFM for the day. So mm -hmm. um, it's neat to, to be part of people's day that way and kind of give them a, a little respite or a reprieve, just kind of like what it is for me when I get up, you know, my wife and I are usually up around 4.30 or 5 and make a pot of coffee and I get some TFM in before, 
uh, we have to make lunches and, and get the kids up for school. So, um, so, so going back, you remember, remember I asked you if you think you're a guru. <laughs> so I think okay. that, I think that you are a, um, I think you are an industry guru. I think that you also are a communication guru and that you can balance uh, very respectively balance the the stakeholders that are in the industry okay because as as we touched upon that the build rod builders and those guys can be crabby i think one of the best things that you did was you expanded and i don't know if you did it because you were looking at readership was changing or whatever but you started to to do more stuff with like cooking recipes and and lots of different things that involve the outdoors, which I think was smart. And it got, it got uh, a lot of us that are out there realizing that, you know, you're, you enjoy the outside. You, you, you definitely portray that you love your, your children. And as a, as a father also, I think you need to hear that. I think you need to know that you have created a, uh, a communication and created the character that you are, that people know that you're a good dad. And I think that you're that's- You're gonna make me cry this morning, JP. <laughs> I, think, I think that that's, well, I think that the, I think you need to hear this stuff. I mean, I don't know what my position is in this industry or in this world, but I can tell you that I like making people feel like, um, you know, they're worth something. And I like working on creative things. I like collaborating with, uh, with great people. And I think it's important that you know that your image of who you are shows that uh, you're a family guy and, and, and you're a great dad. Um, it would be great to see more pictures of your wife too, because I think that's important. I know that, you know, a happy wife is happy life kind of thing. Um, they, uh, I, I sometimes worry whether or not I'm pushing fishing on the kids. I wondered if you ever worry that too. You know what? I mean, of course they know I'm heavily involved in it, but I've always left it as something that they could take or leave. And so was always really careful. We live on a, we have a family pond that's just through the woods from our house. And if we were going fishing, you know, I would make sure never forget snacks, never forget things, you know, juice to drink or whatever, especially when they were super young. Uh, and we might be taking the kayaks to go fishing, but you know, they might fish for 10 or 15 minutes and then they're on the shoreline, you know, trying to find frogs and, right. you know, messing around with bugs. And I, I never was like, Hey, we came out here to go fishing. So right, let's go right. fishing. Type deal. You are the, you, know? you are the dad adventure guru liaison, right? You're going to have an adventure. Yeah. That's your job. Right? So if they want to go out there and, and have snacks and swim and jump off the kayaks and fish a little bit, um, I would rather them have that experience and never have like negative vibes about, Oh yeah, my dad made us fish all the time and I hated it. You know, I've always felt like, Oh, we started out with spin fishing and crickets. And then when they're ready for fly rods and wanting to learn that, then we can learn that. And, you know, Hadley has, and Finn's starting to, you know, wanting to mess around with it. Um, and just to keep it, I mean, you know, just like everything else, like, let's keep it fun. And let's, uh, when they want to do it, let's do it. And when they're done doing it, let's do something else. Um, and so Good attitude. it's easier to, yeah, it's, it's easier to have that attitude than, you know, I've rarely fish when we're on vacation as a family. 
um, because it's easier for me to take, you know, five days or a week and go to Belize or go to up to Northern Michigan, go to Beaver Island or go out West, you know, with friends for a couple, you know, for a short time and just have that be 100% focused on fishing um, than to be on a family vacation and be like, all right, you guys pause and do what you want to do. I'm going to go fishing. You know, that just <laughs> has never really yeah. worked in our yeah. um, family equation of things. So um, I'm super fortunate to have a wife that is like, understands the necessity and need for me to like, just go sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we try to keep that in balance of what's reasonable and not reasonable when it comes to that, but she's pretty patient. Now the kids are older uh, and, you know, they're pretty self-sufficient about being able to get ready and know what they need to do, which has made it easier to travel too. Cause when we had an infant and, a, and Hadley was pretty young, uh, it was harder for me to be away because there's a lot of kid juggling and yeah. it, it puts a lot on, on one parent. So it's gotten easier as they get older, um, but it's pretty neat because they want to do those things now and they want to go to the places and um, it's pretty neat to yeah, do that. And you, and actually, we're, we've, we've gotten to the point now, like we went to, we did a big trip into the UP last year and like I was wishing I had a fly rod with me and you know, our kids were like, man, I wish we were like being able to fish right now. So I've got to start remembering that, like to kind of figure out ways to incorporate it into our vacations, that it's something that all of us want to do and not just dad. Um, And for me to, you know, be more proactive about um, finding opportunities for that, because we were some places that, you know, probably had some really neat angling opportunities, but I didn't even think about it because we were on a family trip. So final question. You're, you're out today and you happen to run into the Cameron of the future 10 years from now. What's he going to tell you? Mm. Well, hopefully, hopefully he's skinnier and in better <laughs> shape. Um, he's probably going to tell me that it's important to, to focus on my family and even more so than I am now and to like uh, not let work um, take as much time as it does because it's easy to get wrapped up with work and I, I'm positive you know this from from being in a pretty competitive industry that it's easy to give too much time at work and it's easy to think what you do is like absolutely the most important thing and that everybody really appreciates you for doing it but if JP doesn't show up to work on Monday or if I don't show up to work on Monday those machines are still going to like continue on without us for a, for a very short while. They're going to say, man, I wish JP was here, but within it's strangely how fast it happens. Somebody's going to pick up your load and they're going to keep doing it and they might not do it as well as you did it, but they're going to do it good enough. And it, I've seen it happen in my line of work over and over where somebody thought that their life revolved around what they did. And then they, I think it's, um, kind of sobering for them to see how easy it is for somebody else to pick it up and go with it. Um, so hopefully future me says that it was smart for you to kind of, kind of dial that back just a little bit so that I'm spending more time for the important things that are going on with my family. That's a good, that's a good way to, that's a, that's good advice that I'm, that the Cameron 10 years from now is going to tell you. I wonder if he'll still be working or if he'll be retired. I, I hope he's retired, but we'll see. Mm. Um, and fingers, I will fingers crossed he's retired. Fingers crossed, yeah, that's good. I will say that I have and I've learned a lot in 2020, 
not necessarily not at all because of COVID, but because of what I've learned in my job is, and I will tell you this, not that I'm trying to give you words of wisdom, I'm trying to expand on what you said. It's very difficult to leave a legacy in your in your work, in your job, because just like having your finger in a glass of water, as soon as you pull that finger out, it'll 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 fill in. It's only only people that are uh, maybe start the company or you know Steve Jobs, those types of people maybe leave a legacy, and sometimes they're not even that good. But for regular regular people like us, and we're just regular people. Sometimes you get caught up in striving to leave some kind of legacy. And I definitely learned this year that and when my job changed and my, my boss told me, you're, you're not going to be doing this anymore. You're going to be doing this. And I thought that I had left something that was going to be a legacy to the people that I managed. And I realized really quickly, I didn't. It was just a job. Mm-hmm. And um, however, you can leave a legacy with your kids, with your family. Yeah. Um, and you have left a legacy with TFM in regards to changing the industry. You did change the industry. You changed the world. So I'm going to leave that with you, sir. And I hope you enjoyed being on In the Seam. I'm glad that we got a little deep. It's good. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't talk too long because this might be one of your longer podcasts, huh? Who cares? This is about you and me right now. No big deal. If they want to listen, they'll well, listen. I... If they want to cut out early, That's they can right. cut out early. <laughs> Well, I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate the really kind words and, and it's neat to see, I've seen you change a lot, JP, and just like the time that you've gotten married and had kids. Um, It's interesting how, how, I don't know, changes in priorities, like refocus us. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I've known, I I I know, go ahead. Oh, and I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about, you know, like, um, like every five years, like you're different than what you were before. And, you know, when you talk to somebody that's, you know, in their seventies, you wouldn't think that when they're 82, they'd be different than when they were 70, but there's, there's more knowledge, there's more experience, there's, you know, there's different changes. And, you know, me at 46 is definitely different than when I was 36. Um, so mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know, just those things are interesting about yeah. life. And it I knew you happens. when you were 36. Yeah. And, you know, um, I guess we're all works in progress. And even though I don't feel like I have that time to really drill down and like really w- work on myself per se, um, it is different. It, it is interesting how different we are year to year. And mm-hmm. even when you start breaking it up into like groups of five years or 10 years. I agree. I think when you, I think when you get older and I think this is a forties thing, I'm 44, you're 46. I think when you get older, you understand, or you're at least are enlightened of what mindfulness is. And you also begin to reflect. And I think that that's part I think that's something that happens kind of, you know, midlife. And uh, I just had a, a podcast with Matt Guyman. Uh, it came out and I think it's, a, I, I love it because I really like him. And one of the things that he talked about, and we're just going to digress on this for a second with you, because you're also a wise 
person. I think you'll have something to say about this. Matt and I both agreed that as we got older, we were more aware that when we were outside in nature, that we had to kind of give ourselves to the world, so to speak, to our, to our environment. And when we were mindful of that, of, of opening ourselves up and trying to be absorbed into it, not using it, not, not utilizing nature, but being part of nature, that was like a maturing part of our, of our life that happened in our 40s. And I'm curious if you have anything, else, anything to say about that. Oh, I think like the two things that I think are, are completely different about Cameron at 46 and Cameron at, at 36 is that when I was younger, everything was about catching fish, like how many fish can we catch, you know, like the whole thing, no matter if it was a day trip or a week long trip was about just how many fish you'd catch and fast forward to now and like every trip is like um, I've learned how to like go into things with no expectation because then you're like you're not trying to reach some level of what you built this trip up in your head but the other thing is is now I could really care less if we catch any fish you know um, and maybe that's just because I've been permit fishing a number of times and there's a good chance and there's trips I've come back from Mexico and Belize where I haven't caught anything you know um, and so I think just the more important thing is just having that opportunity just to like uh, spend time with friends, spend time with family, spend time like just decompressing and, and, you know, eating good food, having a few drinks, like that time, like catching up with your friends and understanding like where they're at in their life and talk about, you know, there's things that happen in a, in a boat. There's conversations that happen in a boat that you're not going to have anywhere else. Not that they're inappropriate, not that there are things that you can talk to your wife about or whatever, but there's just things that happen when you're, you know, just totally uh, in a different place than you are Monday through Friday when you're at work um, and when you're home after work. And then the other thing that's changed in that time is like what I enjoy doing as far as fishing. You know, now my preference is to be some sort of flats fishing where you're like sight casting and it's, it's more like a hunt rather than like looking at an indicator going through a deep pool and hoping that it gets bumped. You know, I would way rather do something where or like looking for fish um, and then trying to make that perfect presentation and watching that fish react as opposed to like racking up a bunch of numbers, you know, under a bobber. So um, teach his own, you know, um, and it doesn't, you know, I'm just as stoked about throwing a fly in front of a carp than I am, you know, trying to get a permit to eat a fly. Um, it's just, I really enjoy those situations where it really puts your like skills to a test and a lot of times it involves like a friend that's fishing with you or a guide that's like putting you in that position. It's like making all those pieces like fall together for it to be successful. Like that situation means a lot more than, you know, catching stalkers, you know, out of a creek that, you know, they weren't there a week ago type deal. So, yeah. So I would it's say those are the two biggest differences. Yeah. That's, it's awesome. And I, and knowing who you are and what makes you happy and what you like is a, is is a lot to do with being happy. So, um, Cameron, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast, and I hope that um, when I get it up, you share it because I think I got into us. I think I got a little bit into a side of you that not a lot of people get. So, I think I, you did too, because a lot of times I'm telling the same 
I don't want to say they're tired stories, but they're the same, you know, the same stories over and over. So I did, I do think we went different directions today. So I appreciate your skillful, your skillful questions and prompts. <laughs> well, I will. I I stalked you a little bit, and I looked at the I looked at the very very vanilla interviews that people have done with you, and I'm like I feel like I know you, so I'm I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a couple of things here that are gonna be creative and interesting. So I hope we did, Cameron. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Thanks for being in you know part of my life. You uh, you've got more than ten years of of being part of my business and stuff, and so thank you, thank you for everything you do and. Um, we'll see you on the water, okay? Thank you for you too. I really appreciate it, JP. Thanks, buddy. Take care.